Welcome back to the Loveless Podcast. This episode is all about the patterns that we play out that actually keep us from having what we want. And I wanna talk about the word want for a moment. Want as a verb in the Merriam-Webster definition is to have or feel need or to have a strong desire for. But as a noun, it's deficiency or lack. And so sometimes I think we approach our dreams, the things that we desire for, from a place of lack. Welcome to Love Liz, the podcast that's all about inspiring you to be yourself, find true love, and live your purpose. This is for all you seekers with deep desires who are struggling with your own self-worth and figuring out how to make your dreams come true. I'm your host, Liz Newcomer, actor turned Enneagram coach, human design practitioner, wife and mama. I believe that who you are is enough to create the life and love you desire. Listen to find out why. Last week, I shared a breakup story that I had at the beginning of my Saturn returns about a guy that I really wanted to be in a relationship with, but didn't feel good enough for. And I idealized him and I had him on this pedestal. After one of my friends, who's also an Enneagram type four, listened to the podcast, she sent me a voice message and she described a situation that she was currently playing out with two different people where one of the guys she had on a pedestal. And at the end of the voice message, she said, thank you so much for giving me that little shift. Not only did I get from your podcast that I get to be myself, but I also get to take this guy off the pedestal because he's just human. When there's something that we desire, part of the patterns that we play out is identifying all of the ways that we are not enough or not worthy of that thing, but we also put whatever that thing is above us. We put it on a pedestal. This past week, I was doing a guided money meditation. And in this meditation, I was prompted to have money sit across from me. The woman who was guiding it said it could come in any form. It could come as a number, as a symbol, as an object, as a person. And what was so interesting is it came in the form of many different people who have more money than I do. A lot of people that I know in New Orleans or that I've grown up with. And then she prompted, notice how you're feeling in your body. What is your relationship as you are sitting across from this representation of money? And what it felt like is that I was beneath them and they were all above me. And there was something in terms of value that I felt like because they had more money that they were more valuable than me. And then I realized what I do have that is valuable And almost throughout the course of the meditation, I raised my vibration so that I was meeting them. So what I'm hoping to help you do in this podcast is to identify those things that you want, that you might have lack of right now, that you might have a strong desire for, and see how you can actually create those things in your life, how you can manifest them, how you can set the stage for them to easily come to you. When you think of those things that you want, what is your relationship? them. Do you feel like you deserve to have them? And if not, why? I taught middle and upper school drama for eight years. A lot of the girls from sixth grade through 12th grade all had these golden goose shoes. If you don't know, golden goose shoes are hundreds of dollars. And my sister (laughs) loves golden goose and she had actually gifted me two pairs of golden goose shoes that I did not have to pay for. What I noticed is that a lot of these young girls were wearing them 
almost as a way to embody who they wanted to be, right? They had seen that on Instagram or it had become fashionable. And then in order to step into that persona of being good enough, fitting in, they all had these golden goose shoes on. And whenever I'd be walking down the halls wearing my golden goose, they would be like, Miss Newcomer, I like your shoes. All of a sudden, I was raised up in their minds with more clout. (laughs) It was fascinating. I used to be obsessed with Us Weekly. I mean, I would get it every single week. Do you remember the page that was stars? They're just like us. And it would be showing all of these stars doing normal mundane things like going grocery shopping, filling up their gas. It was almost like a way to bring the pedestal, like to bring them down, to make it attainable. Like maybe you too could be a celebrity. My longest running celeb crush is on Gwyneth Paltrow. And I actually got to meet her in 2003. I was at a Starbucks. She was dating Luke Wilson at the time. I was working on a show that I was writing with a few of my friends. She came in to the Starbucks with Luke and I saw her and I immediately started full body shaking, crying. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, there's Gwyneth Paltrow. Like I didn't even know how to handle myself. I went to the bathroom to get myself together and I knew I had to say something to her. So I went back out and I and I just fawned over her and said how obsessed I was with her. And she was very kind. But the pedestal that I had her on, the pedestal that we have actors and musicians, Taylor Swift, right? Beyonce, athletes. We put all of these people on a pedestal and we feel like we are beneath them, like they are more valuable than us. So this pattern of putting people on pedestals showed up a lot in my romantic life. And it looked like putting some guy on a pedestal, feeling like they were too good for me, chasing them. And what I was willing to do when I was coming from that place of lack and deficiency is I was really willing to abandon myself completely, abandon my values, abandon my morals, abandon my standards. I got myself into a lot of tricky positions where I would be going out with my best friend Simone at a New York nightclub and I would meet someone who would fit the bill of who I had on the pedestal. And then I would throw myself at them. It was almost as if I was living in this fantasy. I really believed that if I gave them what I thought they wanted, that I would get what I wanted in return. That never happened. And then almost immediately after that, I would meet some guy who would then put me on a pedestal, who would think I hung the moon. And that felt so good as I was licking my wounds of being rejected that I would usually dive right into a relationship with that person. And historically, it would last for all of three months because right around the end of the three months, I felt a lot stronger. I was a lot more confident in myself and I would look at that person and then I would feel like I was too good for them. Like I was stooping being with them. It was like vacillating between the emotions of shame and disgust, which as a type four, those are very familiar driving emotions. When I would lower myself to be with the person I had on a pedestal and not get what I wanted, I always felt immense shame. I remember one day in San Diego, After I had acted with low self-respect and then was confronted with how much my fantasy was not going to play out, I remember getting an In-N-Out burger, eating it at home, and just crying, like tears in the burger, just real intense shame. 
Alternatively, I would feel disgust once my eyes were open with the guy who had me on a pedestal. If you've seen the movie Inside Out, there is that character disgust, which I was kind of fascinated that disgust was part of those main emotions that we feel as humans because I was like, I don't really feel disgust. And then I identified it and I'm like, oh yeah, you do. That's when you feel like you're better than someone else and you're kind of grossed out by them. The last guy that I dated before I met my husband, we were going to see a movie on the Upper West Side and it was an indie film. And we went across the street to the Duane Reed to get candy so that we could save money before the film. And he got a jumbo pack of Nestle Crunch Bites. And I asked him if I could share with him because surely he was not gonna eat that entire thing by himself in one sitting. And he refused to share with me. I was like, wait, what? So I had to get my own candy. We're in the theater and he is crunching so loudly. It's like he's a caricature. He's just like, (laughs) and I was so embarrassed of him. The people in front of us turning around, looking at him, looking at me. And then he falls asleep in the movie and he starts snoring. The level of disgust (laughs) that I had, I was like, this has got to end. So this pattern of pedestal hopping, my friend from San Diego, Terry, she pointed it out to me. So I was able to see it, but I didn't feel like I could change it. I thought it was kind of inevitable. This back and forth, not good enough, too good for. So fast forward to the spring of 2011. I was just a few months shy of my 30th birthday and my mom invited me to an Enneagram workshop in New Orleans. So I came. The whole time I thought I was a type two, because I have a lot of people-pleasing patterns. And I did the whole workshop as if I was a two. I sat on a panel, which is where you sit with other people of your same type, and you get asked questions. What is it like being a type two? And something that I noticed is that everybody else kept deferring and letting other people talk. And I was like, I'll take the mic. Let me tell you how it is. That was already a red flag that maybe I wasn't a two. And then I was sitting in the audience for the type four panel, and I noticed that they all were wearing graphic outfits in black and white with pops of color like rust red and chartreuse yellow. And I looked down at my outfit and I was wearing black jeans and then this geometric shirt in the same color scheme. And I'm like, maybe those are my people. So the workshop ended and I said to the facilitator, Sandra, I have a feeling that I'm not a type two. I think I might be a four. So she's like, why don't you read this paragraph from the Essential Enneagram written by Dr. David Daniels who was her teacher, who then became my teacher. And so I read the type four paragraph. And when I got to these lines, my behavior can appear like drama to others. And I've been criticized for being overly sensitive and over amplifying my feelings. What is really going on inside is my longing for both emotional connection and a deeply felt experience of relationship. I have difficulty fully appreciating present relationships because of my tendency to want what I can't have and to disdain what I do have. Whoa. When I read that, (laughs) it was like being struck with a lightning bolt. It summarized so succinctly this pattern that was playing out in my romantic life, but I've seen it across all areas of my life, even currently in my career. But what really shifted for me was that instead of beating myself up for this pattern that wasn't serving me, that wasn't helpful, that was even harmful, I felt like I was looking at myself in the mirror and the eyes gazing back at me were filled with compassion, saying, this is not who you are. This is just a pattern that you're playing out. And now that you're awake to it, now that you can see it, you can make a different choice. 
It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by Viktor Frankl in A Man's Search for Meaning. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. What the Enneagram gave me was the space between who I am authentically and what I do, my Enneagram type, the pattern I play out, the habits I engage in. And because I was no longer identifying with those patterns, I then had the freedom to make a different choice. So I said to myself, Liz, if what you really want is true love, if you wanna meet your partner, then you have to let go of this push-pull pattern. You have to let go of the drama that is associated with it, where you get to be the victim and then you get to be the victor. And you have to be willing to find the person who has you on a pedestal at the same level that you have them on a pedestal. And six months later, I met Michael, who is now my husband, and we both have each other on the same height pedestal. We feel equally deserving of each other and lucky at the same time. That's why I love the Enneagram so much, y'all. That's why I'm so excited to bring it to you because I've seen it not only help me achieve the dreams that I want in my life and I continue to apply it and put it into practice, but it's also helped me guide my clients in doing the same. I just got off a call with my first coaching client. She's a type six. I'm sure I'll have her on the show. We started working together three years ago and she found me right after a heartbreak. And what she told me today is that she got engaged last night and I cried so many tears of joy right alongside with her. It felt like a dream coming true. The journey that she's been on has been so beautiful to witness. And I want the same for you because I know that you deserve it. And I know that when you see it for yourself, you're going to want it for other people too. And I believe that's what will change the world. In the show notes for this episode, I will attach some helpful links including to the Essential Enneagram, as well as my own free Enneagram resources. And if you're curious about your type, I offer 75-minute Enneagram typing sessions to really help you accurately determine your Enneagram type so you can have clarity and direction with your own journey. I hope this resonated. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, love, Liz. If you're ready to stop struggling and start living the life and love you desire, I invite you to check out my one-on-one coaching program. I'm taking on a few new private clients and I'd love to help you create a life that is authentic, aligned, and fulfilling. Visit my website, elizabethnewcomer.com today to book your free consultation.